tonight. After services, we will have the honor of attending a graduation celebration for our now former high school seniors. And as I say that, I'm also reminded of how last year's graduates were not able to attend many such celebrations of their accomplishments due to the pandemic. And so um, I'm, rem I'm reminded of, of them as well tonight. And once again this year, we're very blessed at the Shoto Hills Congregation of the Church to have a valedictorian amongst our congregation. We have a valedictorian as our sister again tonight, and that is an outstanding accomplishment, and we are indeed very grateful. We're very blessed for that. Now that is in no way, no way to deter from all of the other outstanding accomplishments amongst our graduates as well, be they high school or college. I would like to also tonight acknowledge and congratulate all of our Brethren, all of our congregation members who have similarly graduated college this year, their years of hard work and diligent study, their work in all of those years of selfless application, devotion, determination to make the grade, as it were, has finally paid off. And we are proud of you. If I might adapt some comments from an article that I wrote several years ago, I would like to share with you three paragraphs, if I might. In the case of our graduating high school seniors, the ceremony symbolizes the culmination of a dozen years worth of getting up on time in order to get ready for and get to class, more hours of diligent study in levels of ever-increasing difficulty than most could or will ever remember. And a myriad of difficult choices, challenges, extracurricular activities, and personal and parental sacrifices, all of which have worked together to finally produce and make this moment possible. As a result of many of these elements in different combinations, the names of those graduates who have sat in countless classes conducted a myriad of experiments, passed a plethora of difficult tests, and have served either on or in several different competitive teams and capacities in order to reach this milestone, have now been placed on their appropriate graduation rosters, caps, gowns, and diplomas, diplomas were meticulously prepared, also that also that graduates could appear before their school authorities to receive the proper recognition in proper fashion. All of that while proud and beaming parents and other family members with pricey cameras and fully charged smartphones at the ready jubilantly awaited that one glorious moment when their own perfect and precious offspring would finally walk across the stage to receive their just reward. This was the moment they had been waiting for, for many, many years, both they and their parents, waiting, hoping, and helping to prepare their beloved children for since day one. Now, as I read that, you may say, wait a minute, we're in church. What on earth has our graduates got to do with church and sermons and God and all of that? 
As I considered what I just read to you, I could not help but think of the parallels between such graduations and the Christian's graduation to glory. Do we understand that we are all on this earth being schooled, accumulating knowledge, studying, being tested, so that one day we can graduate into the heavenly kingdom. We can graduate to glory. That is the title of tonight's lesson. We see a dim reflection of this in the history of God's Old Testament people, Israel. I want you to consider with me this progression, if you would, from the Old Testament first. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Keeping in mind everything that I have previously spoken of tonight. Exodus chapter 16. Comes that first day of school when little, little tykes this big, they go and, and they, they see that <laughs> to them, can you imagine how big a school bus must seem to a kid that's about this tall? And they see this, this huge school bus and they slowly step up into that school bus and they don't know what to expect and their parents are standing back and they climb up those stairs and, and they get there and here's this long aisle with seats and strange kids on both sides and they kind of walk to find a place that first day of school. As I think about that, I couldn't help but think about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Hesitant, not knowing what's coming next, stepped in between those big walls of water, had no idea what to expect or what was coming, but they, they walked through those walls of water on both sides and how, how scary and intimidating that must have been. As the days go by, as months go by, gradually those little ones begin to grow and they begin to be given instructions and face tests. Now, the tests are very simple at first. Our youngsters in first grade, second grade, you know, the tests are, are, are really over basic stuff. And that's how God's people started out once they crossed the Red Sea. The tests were very easy in the beginning. They were very basic at first. Look with me in Exodus chapter 16, would you please, verses 4 and 5. Then, Mo then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. God says, okay, here's a very basic test. Here's, here's a basic test in the start of this process. Whether they will walk in my way or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Here's a test. Here's a little multiplication test. On the sixth day, you gather two times as much two times what you normally do, and you'll be all set. Little, little test here of multiplication and of application. Very easy, very simple. But as we read on in this chapter, we find that some passed the test, and some failed certain parts and needed to be retested. For example, look down in verse 17. Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more and some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And, and Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Okay, here's, here's another part of the test. Don't leave any of it till morning. 
You, you've progressed pretty well on this test so far. Verse 20, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Some of them failed the test. Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. Moses had said, hey, this is a test. Okay, you're going to get quizzed. Here's how you do it. Well, some of them weren't paying attention to all the instructions, and, and they didn't do so well. Other, others of them failed on that. Remember that little multiplication, two times as much on, on a particular day? Some of them failed that part of the test and had to be retested as well. Look at verses 22 through 30. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said to them, This is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded. It didn't stink, and there wasn't any worms in it. They're doing good. And Moses said, eat, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find in the field. Six days you'll gather it. On the seventh day, there, there won't be any. Okay, here's the test. It's still part of the test that God said, I'm going to test them. But guess what? Some of them failed that part of the test. It happened, verse 27, that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? And God goes on from there, it's like, how much instruction are you going to give these people and they're going to fail the test? Well, that was the beginning, one of the basic tests. And as time went on, time went by, in school for us, we learned more and more. We learned not only that one plus one is two, but we learned more difficult and more detailed equations than that. The tests that we took in school gradually grew in strength, they grew in length, they grew in intensity, they grew in coverage. And some of us may have even gotten to the point where we were tested in school. Did you ever fear a test that was coming? I was like, nee, I don't know if I can do this or not. You know, I don't look for you to shake your head yes or no, but you know, just like some of your teachers may have sought to reassure you over the years, maybe you had that teacher who would seek to reassure you when, when the difficulty of the test intimidated you or you felt a little overwhelmed. Well, Moses did the same thing. Did you know that? After giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. He said, yeah, this is another test. God's come to test you. This test's a little more difficult. This one's got, you know, like... 10 different commandments, instead of just the one about the manna. It's getting a little more difficult, but he said, don't be afraid, God is testing you to make sure that his fear is in you. Well, as we progress through school, the test got harder and it got harder for the Israelites. In Numbers 13 and 14, the people were tested again. They were told to send spies into the Promised Land. We know the, we know the story well. I use it a lot, it's, it's an outstanding account to me. But if I can put it in terms of tonight's sermon, in Numbers 13 and 14, they are given a hands-on experiment to conduct. Go into the promised land and see if it isn't all I've told you. The hands-on experiment, there it is. They went, they did it. So not only were they given a hands-on experiment to conduct, they were given a first-hand experience to consider, and they were even furnished with a conclusion. Listen, if your teachers made it easy and said, okay, here's the, here's the test you're gonna conduct, once you conduct it, you understand the dynamics of it, and they say, this is the answer you ought to come up with. 
That makes it pretty easy, don't it? God told them, this is the conclusion you ought to come to. I'll be with you, you can do this. Well, they put all of those elements together. But only Joshua and Caleb and the younger members of that class passed the test and eventually graduated to the next level. Because the older ones didn't believe. They believed the 10 spies instead, and so they failed the test that God had given them. And again, only Joshua, Caleb, and the younger members of that class passed the test and graduated to the next level. Now, just like in secular school, in our, in our learning process, what will happen a lot, whether it's junior high, high school, college level, what will happen is that we will have finals. And often, for a midterm or a final, what the teacher will do is they will go over again and review the material that you've covered in that quarter so that you can pass the final. Well, <clears throat> Moses did something very similar to that. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in Deuteronomy they're getting ready to cross into the promised land. Deuteronomy, the whole book of Deuteronomy is basically a review, a recap for the finals. It is a review to show them what they should have learned, what they ought to have learned, what they needed to learn in order to pass the test. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, part of this review that Moses furnished was this. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. What's Moses saying? He's saying, look, you've had these tests along the way. You've had a series of tests building up to this moment. This is the review. You know this. You know this material. You know what God did. God did it to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He, he says, remember what you learned with the manna? Remember, don't, don't forget that. that. That was part of the education. Don't forget what you learned there, okay? He says, your garments did not wear out, verse four, on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Moses keeps going back to, listen, remember when this happened and, and remember when you were tested here and, and remember how this turned out. You, you gotta remember this stuff. And, and brethren, here's why. Don't miss this, especially those of you that look forward to graduating, that have recently graduated either high school or college. Don't, don't miss this point. Moses' message in Deuteronomy 8 is simply this. After you have left this present place of learning and testing, for them, it was leaving to go into the promised land. After you have left this present place of learning and testing and have graduated to the next phase of and place in your life, a place where you can enjoy the benefits of great financial gain and all that goes along with it, verses 7 through 10, you must not forget, Moses says. When, when, you, when you enter that land and you're, you're, you have all these finances and these, these riches and you get to this next stage of your life where you have all this stuff, he said you must not forget what you have learned here. You must not forget those lessons that you have learned here while you were preparing to get there. I cannot emphasize that enough. 
Never forget the lessons, young folks, that you have learned here in your Bible classes, that you have learned here growing up and becoming a mature Christian. When you are blessed and, and get out there and you have all of the things that quote unquote adults have, don't forget the Lord your God. This is his message here in verses 11 through 20. Look what he says. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, judgments, and statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and you've built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your golds multiply and all you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Don't forget, he says, when you're blessed with all that this knowledge and all that God can give you, don't forget God and the, the, what you learned here. Verse 15, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the flinty rock. He led you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers didn't know that he might humble you and that he might test you. Don't forget your tests to do good in the end. When you say in my heart, my power and my might and my hand have gained me this wealth. Remember the Lord your God because it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant with you. Don't forget when you learned about God. Don't forget the basics. Don't, don't forget how you got to this place you're in because of what you learned following God and how he tested you and brought you to this point. The biggest and most important lesson that Moses wanted them to know when they graduated into the promised land was that no matter where you go, first, foremost, and always, God must come first above everyone everything and anything god must come first this is a message that moses made very clear in deuteronomy 13. once again we talked about testing could you turn over there with me look at deuteronomy chapter 13 look at the first eight verses he says if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. Don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. The tests continue. Don't forget what you've learned. The tests continue. God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and you'll walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, serve him and hold fast to him. Verse 6, doesn't matter if it's a close relative, if it's your brother, son of your mother, your son, your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is as your own soul, who says let's go serve other gods, you're being tested, don't fail the test. God comes first, always. And he wanted them to remember that. Do you know what? Many of those who graduated and went across to the other side of the Jordan apparently neglected to pass along to the following generations of their family these lessons. That is so important. Not only keep the Lord first, but pass along to the next generations. In fact, Moses had told them that in Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 10. Tell your children, tell your grandchildren. When you come over there, keep telling them, telling them, telling them, telling them. But a lot of them didn't. What happened? Those next generations, they were going to have to learn the hard way. They were going to have to be put through the test too. 
They were going to have to learn the same lessons about God that their forefathers had. And they would be relentlessly tested until they too passed the tests and proved themselves ready for their own graduation. Look in Judges chapter 2. In Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 20, look what it says. We see the word test many times here. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, they've not heeded my voice. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Chapter 3 and verse 1, now these are the nations that the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Verse 4, and they were left that he might test Israel. You see, the next generations were going to have to pass some tests too because they didn't know all these things that those who had already passed those tests and graduated the promised land, their parents and forefathers should have taught them. David understood. David understood that God tests the hearts and minds of men continually in order to prepare them for their graduation to glory, in order to pre prepare us to graduate, to be with him, to graduate from this earthly life and to be with him. God tests us continually, just like we're tested in school before graduation. First Chronicles 29:17 says, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. David wrote that. Psalm 11 in verse 4, David said, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. Brethren, we get tested to see if the stuff that we have learned in Bible class and Bible study that we've learned from the textbook, if we can apply that rightly to life and if we can pass the test. And this is a continual thing. Jeremiah Jeremiah 17.10 heard from God and God said, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind to give every man according to his ways. So you know it really shouldn't come as any surprise to us when we see God in the flesh come in the New Testament. You know what he did? <laughs> he tested him. Jesus tested him. I'll give you an example. John chapter 6. Take a look. John chapter 6. Begin with me, follow along please in verse four. In John chapter six, verse four. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was near and Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Jesus is asking, where are we gonna buy bread? Um, what do teachers do? Good teachers ask questions, right? And it wasn't that Jesus didn't know where they were gonna buy bread. It's just like when your teacher says to you after you've covered certain material in high school or college and, and the teacher says to you, okay, now what do we do with this? What do we learn from this? How do we apply this? Well, this Jesus was the teacher, the master teacher. And so he says, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Look at the next verse. But this he said to test him, because Jesus already knew what he's gonna do. Now, the word test doesn't occur in every situation like this, the New Testament, but certainly we can all recall to mind places where Jesus knew the answers, but he put people to the test, seeing if they understood 
seeing if they, they got the material, seeing if they could pass the test. We see that the gospel preachers or apostles like Paul continued that testing and refining process of God's people in places like 2 Corinthians 2. Even the apostles did it. 2 Corinthians 2, please turn there. Paul comes right out and tells them. That's the whole reason I did it, was to test you. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 3. Paul said, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Suppose Paul was a southerner. He's got a lot of you alls in here. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears that you should be grieved, but, I'm sorry, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. If anyone has caused grief, he hasn't grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I wrote that I might put you to the test. There was a man here that had been doing some horrible stuff. Most commentators believe this has to do with the situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and apparently they'd withdrawn fellowship from the man, and he had, been, he had repented and, and changed his ways, and, and so Paul's saying, look, don't keep heaping it on him. Love him, forgive him. He's, he's done what he needed to do. Love him, forgive him. And he said, the reason I wrote all this to you was to put you to the test. I see, brethren, our tests are found in the New Testament as well as the Old. In fact, in this very same epistle, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell them in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, test yourselves, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So let's do a rubber meets the road application here. We've covered the material, <laughs> let's be tested on it. You see, in order for a Christian to be considered faithful enough to receive the reward of the just and the righteous, in order for a Christian to thus graduate to glory on that great and final day, there are many essential elements which God requires in our education process that must be a part of our learning, must be a part of our growing, must be a part of our maturing process while we're here. And I'm going to give you just a few of them. In high school, college, unless you, are incre you have an incredible photographic memory, you have to study at least a little, right? At least a little. You have to study. You have to study the textbooks. Graduating to glory is the same thing. Constant Bible study is one of the things that is required. 2 Timothy 2 in verse 15, we must study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that need not to be ashamed. We must continually study the text in the book. Not only must we put in constant, diligent, and persistent Bible study, in ever-increasing levels and measure as well must we put in that study. It tells us that. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, you're familiar with the text. Add to your knowledge wisdom, and, to you, and he goes through this whole list, but it's, it's this continual adding to. We don't get to the point. Listen, if you get through your sophomore year in high school, and you say, okay, I've learned all I need to know. I'm just going to stop right here, and I don't have to add any more learning, and I can just expect in two years to graduate. How would that work for you? Right? Until we graduate... We need to continue to learn. We need to continue to increase our knowledge and our wisdom, just like young people going to school. Number two, one of the things that is required in order to graduate from a high school, in particular, is a certain amount of attendance. Brethren, consistent attendance is also something we must put in as students of God, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. Not forsaking the assembly. In order to graduate from a high school, a lot of young folks must also be team players who have learned to work and to serve and to pull together as one. To pull together on a team of some sort. Doesn't need to be necessarily an athletic team, although there are plenty of those. It can be almost any team, any extracurricular activity or team. They must learn to pull together, have no division among them, because there's no I in team. In the same way in the church, we must learn to work and serve together and to do that and to accomplish things to the glory of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Ephesians 4.1 through 4, and Ephesians 4.11 through 16. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something now that you all already know. <laughs> Throughout our earthly spiritual education process in this life, there's going to be a whole bunch of tests. Some of them pop quizzes. But there's going to be a lot of difficult tests that we will only be able to pass by knowing and applying the wisdom and the knowledge from this textbook right here, James 1, verses 3 and following. Just like in school, for us too, there will be many and increasingly difficult challenges, choices, and sacrifices that we're going to have to make as Christians in order to graduate to glory, just like our young people have to make many difficult choices and sacrifices in order to graduate. Just like in school, often there are electives. There are those courses that you have to take, but then there's a certain amount of electives or activities that are also required in order to graduate. These extracurricular activities, these other classes, if you will, you must invest yourself, your abilities, and your ability to apply knowledge in service-oriented projects. Well, that's also a requirement to graduate to glory. As we said this morning, one of my favorite passages, Titus 2, 11 through 14, we were saved to serve, if I may paraphrase. We must be contributors. There are certain things that we must do. We must serve the Lord with all that we have. We would also notice this in the Parable of the Talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 46, in Romans 12, 1 through 21. So as we get ready to wrap up, got one more text for you at the end of this. As we consider all of the long hours, and days, months, and years of diligent study, difficult testing, and sometimes just sheer determination that our graduates have put forth 
in their preparation to and anticipation of their long-awaited graduation, I have several questions I would like to ask. Number one, exactly how much work, effort, study, and diligent and determined preparation are we each as Christians putting in daily in order to pass all of our tests so that we can one day graduate to glory. We can graduate into the glory of our Father's eternal heavenly kingdom. Number two, as our graduates prepared for graduation, the ordering of caps and gowns and the I remember when I graduated way back before Noah and the ark, right now. I remember when I graduated, you had to put down way in advance exactly how you wanted your name, middle initial, middle full name, all that stuff. Everything had to be perfect on the register. And I assume you still go through that, right? Somebody say something. Yes, okay, thank you. And so everything has to be just perfect, has to be just prepared, just so. Is that right? The register that they read, that you know, they read from the front and the, the student walks across the stage and the names have to be just right and, and there's, there's, everything has just got to be prepared. Well, number one, in order for our graduation to glory, we have to have the right cap and gown, if I may use that illustration. We all have to be clothed with Christ. If we don't have on Christ, if we have not put on Christ in baptism, if we have not been clothed with him, we don't have the proper attire. You don't have somebody typically sitting there to graduate with all of these students that are clothed in this, this very uniform uh, gown, this very uniform color. You don't have somebody that's typically sitting there in a baseball uniform, typically, or whatever else you want to put in there. They're all dressed the same. And Jesus stressed about the man who, who got into this wedding feast without the proper wedding clothes. So we need to make sure that we are in Christ, that we are clothed with Christ. And of course that happens when we are baptized, Galatians 3, 26 and 7. The final text and the final scene I want to leave you with is a text that we covered this morning. This heavenly graduation scene or this graduation to glory is seen pictured several different ways in the book of Revelation. It's seen in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, but perhaps the most powerful is Revelation 20. Please turn there. This is the graduation to glory commencement. This is the graduation to glory. This is the, this is the day. Here it is. Verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God. Now, I want you to picture. We know in, a, in an earthly celebration, an earthly graduation, that, that all of the, the hierarchy of the school, the superintendent, and all of these folks are, are, are up on a stage. And we know that they have a record of all of the graduates and their names. Well, in that type of idea only infinitely magnified. Obviously, in this, in this scene, we have God, the, the great judge. We have God, the creator of the heaven and the earth. And, and all are there. 
The small, the great, they're all standing before God. You know, in a graduating class, you have those at the very top of the class, the very bottom of the class, and everybody in between. You have all different um, sizes and shapes and colors, and, and, and the great, the small, you, you have them all. You have the kids that have done everything, you have the kids that have squeaked by, and everything in between. And, and, and so similarly here, on our graduation day into glory, we have the, 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 the dead, the small, the great, standing before God, and books were opened just like that register of names at a graduation. And another book was opened, which is the Book of Life. That would be the one with the names. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. We know that we often have a list of what each graduate has accomplished, their accomplishments while they were in training. We see here that we will be judged according to the things written in those books. Our accomplishments in Christ, as it were, obviously, because none of us can earn our way into heaven. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Picture that scene. You've got everybody there that day. You've got the whole world there. Death and Hades have emptied out. Everybody that's ever been is there on that great and glorious day, and, and God is up there, and God has this register, and as each one comes before him, he will let you know those that have graduated to glory and those who have not made the grade, those who have not, not that we can work our way into heaven, but those who haven't accepted Christ and his forgiveness, those who haven't lived for Jesus, those who haven't passed those earthly tests by sticking with the textbook. You're gonna have both in this case. And you know, in a graduation ceremony, you often have friends and family out there that, that are just so, excited and so happy and as we come before God on that great day there's going to be people that are going to make it because they trusted God with everything they had they did what God said they followed God's word they walked in the light as he is in the light they confessed their sin and he continually cleansed them but they're going to want others to be with them too others that they talk to about Jesus. And so as we think about that tonight, and as we go here in just a few minutes to honor our graduates, I want each one of us to think of the parallels. Think of how we need to continually study and pass the tests. We need to be prepared, because one day, we're not gonna walk across a stage, but we are gonna appear before the God of heaven, and we are going to be judged according to whether or not we pass these tests. We're gonna be judged according to his righteous judgment and mercy, yes. Are you gonna be ready come that day to graduate to glory? If you have never put on Christ, that's where it begins. You put on Christ in the waters of Christian baptism, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you're clothed with Christ and you rise to walk in newness of life. That arising to walk in newness of life is giving yourself to God and following him every day. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. The man standing in front of you is not perfect, okay? Nobody is. But with his help, in his grace, in his mercy, we can pass the tests. And come that day, we can graduate into his heavenly, eternal kingdom forever. Won't that be awesome? I want to pass that test. I want, I, want, I want to be there that day and have God say, your name's in the register. 
Our names are in the book of life. Is your name in the book of life tonight? If it's not, you need to make it happen. And if it is, and you need the prayers of the church to help you pass more tests of your faith, whatever the need may be that you have tonight, if you are not completely ready this evening for your graduation to glory, please come to the front and let us help any way we can as we stand and as we sing.